Hey everyone, it's Craig. Before we start the show, I want to tell you about our Patreon offerings. That's right, patreon.com slash Craig holds a whole host of wonder and delight. The folks in Hot Dog Club know all about, but you might not. So go there now, patreon.com slash Craig, and check out our offerings. For $5 a month, you get bonus episodes. For $7 a month, you get the bonus episodes plus listener questions episodes, which of course allows you to ask us questions and we will answer them on the listener questions episode. Which might be surprising given that we call them listener questions, but you know what? It is as simple as it seems. Then for $10 a month, you get all the bonus episodes, which by the way are full length, full throttle, and full fat. All the listener questions episodes and the movie club episodes. Now, on our listener questions and movie club episodes, we oftentimes have very special guests like Alaska Thunderfuns, Trixie Mattel, Jasmine Masters, Laganja Ostranja, Willem, Courtney Act. Coming up soon, I'll be taping a movie club with Ms. Cracker, a listener questions with Ms. Fame, and the list goes on and on. So sign up now at patreon.com slash and Craig, and then you can get the entire archive plus every new episode that rolls out. Our friend and previous and future guest, Justin Kelly, has a new film out, J.T. Leroy, The Incredible Story of the J.T. Leroy Scandal. Starring Laura Dern and Kristen Stewart, it's a goddamn good time, and fascinating as well. We have an upcoming episode with Justin and the author of the book that the film was based on, Savannah Knoop, who is the person who played J.T. Leroy. Well, it's complicated. You'll see what I'm talking about. The film is great. It's in theaters right now, and it's also going to be available on iTunes in about a week or two. Lots and lots of dates added to Katya's tour, so go and snap up those tickets now at Katya Live or WeLoveKatya.com. Either one will get you what you need. DragCon coming up soon, in a couple weeks actually, and we're doing our first live podcast from there. Snatch up your tickets now and use promo code WHIMSICAL for 10% off. Now that we have that sorted out, let's listen to a chat I taped in San Francisco with Cherry Torn, Sophie Monroe, and our guest, Peaches Christ. A Russian ballerina, stopping on a bureaucrat, a perky suburban housewife who just got into scat. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very, very special episode of Whimsically Volatile, because not only are we joined by co-hosts Cherry Torn and Sophie Monroe, our very special guest is none other than Peaches Christ. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Being in San Francisco, how could we not reach out to you? The legend. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I appreciate it. It's the San Francisco treat, right? Right, That's, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and the new rice <laughs> I have to say, first off, that I regret missing Mean Gaze because my jet lag precluded me from... I understand. Yeah. Jet lag is real. It, it is. is, right? And yeah. and the ladies just returned from Japan. We oh, wow. Did. And I was just in uh, Australia. Amazing. So. We've all been back for about two days. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're a little dazed. Yeah. A little yeah. dazed. Yeah, just a little. Which is kind of fun. How do you do with jet lag? I guess I have my own little tricks here yeah. and there. Um, I try to like look at what you know when I'm flying in and yeah. what time of day it is, and kind of decide whether I should take a nap or just force myself to stay awake, and mm-hmm. you know basically just try to adjust to their schedule as quickly as possible, even if it means a really horrifying day <laughs> of forcing yourself to stay awake. Uh huh. How often can you actually maintain the staying awake thing? Because I'm I'm bad at the. What happened with me last time is. I sat down on my bed, which was really the stupidest thing I could have done. Right. And then I uh, just fell asleep in my plane clothes, which usually it's like you have that barrier. You think, okay, I'll change after I get off the plane. Right. And that'll sort of get my day going. Nope. 
right into it and then yeah see i would probably what i would do is often um set an alarm uh-huh. take a nap and then really force myself to get up even if it's just for a few hours yeah and then try to put myself to bed at whatever time would be normal their time what was the worst jet lag you've ever had it was um for barbarella when and it was in the uk because <laughs> now it's all coming back to me yeah and i was like trying we were meeting these um mancunian queens uh-huh. um who were part of the cast and it was me and um I don't know, three or four of the San Franciscans who flew over to meet maybe six of the local cast. Uh-huh. And I stupidly was like, "Let I'm just going to stay awake. <laughs> and then the rehearsal was like early evening. Yeah. And I was so unable to do anything and like couldn't talk wasn't able to make a sense and i'm directing the show it's like my perfect and this is yeah. like their intro yeah. to me right. and it was i was you know and just too much coffee and the coffee wasn't working and you know yeah. and i kept apologizing saying like this rehearsal is basically useless you know and we, i mean i think we had three days before we opened or something so yeah that was it yeah 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 and it's tough too because in a situation like that you're like this is a first impression even if you're saying sorry this is really not me normally right. it's like someone being like coughing a lot and be like it's i'm not contagious don't right. worry about it you're like oh sure okay exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> when did you start doing the uh parody shows of films because you've had a very long history with exhibiting cult mm-hmm, cinema and everything mm-hmm. at, at what point did you switch over to adapting i i kind of think it's all uh in evolution um, from my Midnight Mass series, mm. um, where we didn't just screen the movies, we did um, pre-shows before the movies. And that that started in 1998, yeah. uh, in June of 1998. And, um, and, and so the, the shows, even then, that summer, were parodies, but they might only be a scene or oh, sure. okay. um or a sketch or yeah. sort of a um a hodgepodge you know like the pre-shows tended to be 15 to 30 minutes back then cuz we started them at midnight okay. you know yeah. and then screened a movie right um and so as the years went on and the pre-shows did become more and more and more elaborate mm-hmm. um we started to kind of categorize them where we'd have like a pre-show where a special guest would come when we finally were able to like invite actual, you know, cult movie stars. Sure. So we do like an opening number and then a big interview with the star. Then we did shows that were parodies, you mm-hmm. know, like a full parody, kind of like what I do today. Maybe shorter, but still kind of a, a same yeah, yeah, like a yeah. tribute to the movie. Yeah. And then we did shows where it was more of a contest or like some sort of weird athletic kind of thing. <laughs> like we used to do drag queen roller derby. Oh, wow. And yeah, and actually like have drag queens on skates and have the whole audience, you know, sign a release of liability form. And <laughs> Very important, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. like people, you know, would get hurt and, you know, but back then, I mean, back then, I mean, I can't believe what we got away with. Yeah. You know? Mostly just because we were fearless. The Wild West days. I they were, them. yeah. A little pain with your pleasure is never bad. I just got to say yeah. that, you know. <laughs> I love a show that requires a liability release. Yeah. <laughs> so true. I love the Wild West of San Francisco, too. Mm-hmm. Those were good. Those were some good years. They were good years. And, you know, when they were happening, none of us knew how special they were, of uh-huh. course. Make I'm I'm I sound so old because you know this is how old people talk but um <laughs> but yeah I mean I did things that I should have been arrested for for sure <laughs> yeah. we yeah. should have been shut down you know like we <laughs> oh, really yeah. pushed 
the limit and didn't really even know we were doing that, mm-hmm. you know? Well, you know, our two uh, guest co-hosts uh, are, how would you describe yours? Because you, you're so, you have so many hyphenates. We're sex workers. Yeah. Fabulous. <laughs> you know, we yeah. work a lot for kink.com would be our big oh, San Francisco amazing. touchstone. Yeah. Uh-huh. We direct and produce for, for mm-hmm. them. And then oh, we also fantastic. do, you know, a lot of female domination Stuff. I love it. Yeah. Well, yeah. the first movie I ever screened was Faster Pussycat Kill yes. Kill. You know? and, oh. and and I got to become friends with Tura later in life and go on oh, wow. tour with her and, and work with her a lot. So, you know, I mean, I always feel like she's one of those icons of just female empowerment. You know, when that movie came out, no one had seen a woman behave that way before sure. in cinema, you know? That's and so I look at it now and I'm like, I'm so glad that women get paid to behave that way, you know? <laughs> right, and that's why sex workers love drag queens because I well, don't We have know. a lot in common. We have we a do. lot yes. in yeah, common. It's true. It's this yes. hyper feminine, like just ridiculous creature that you're creating and yeah. I feel like that's exactly what And some do. drag queens are sex workers. Absolutely. You know? Oh, I love that crossover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big fans. That's a hyphen that we can all get behind. Yeah. And vice yeah. versa. Some sex workers are drag queens. Yeah. You know you got that <laughs> we true host. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to ask you guys then, is kink still at the armory or no? No. Okay. No. That's what I thought. It was sold a few years ago. God, They're I'm still so in San Francisco, okay. but just not at the Armory anymore. So great at the Armory, though. It was yeah. the best. Yeah. It was the best. We were involved with the upper floor days with that big Edwardian great house at the top of the building. Oh, amazing. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we spent a lot of time. Sp- speaking of Wild West days, we certainly had uh, <laughs> the early days of the Armory were, were some of those days. I bet. <laughs> People on skates, maybe not, but the whole liability oh, no, release. We, had skates. Oh, we really? absolutely okay. had skates. Yeah, yeah, when you have that much space, you have skates. You got to sure. have, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> you got definitely should have got shut down. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> yeah. I shot there in 2009, yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. That's when we were there. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. We, 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 um, <laughs> We're making uh, my first feature film and and uh, all about evil. Uh, all about evil, evil yeah. yeah. And um, and a lot of people don't know that you know the movie takes place in the Victoria Theater over at Sixteenth and Mission, but there were scenes um, written into the script that took place in the attic of the Victoria Theater where there was no attic. Mm-hmm. So uh, and then also the basement, and there wasn't really a basement we could shoot in. So the basement and the attic of the Victoria Theater are actually an attic area. Uh, at the armory um, over like where you guys weren't even shooting and the crew had to wear, you know, basically masks. Hazmat suits. Yeah, hazmat suits. Still the poisonous sludge in the basement. Absolutely. (laughs) If you remember where there was like the room and we shot in this room where we had Natasha Lyonne, you know, and a guillotine and, you know, she did horrible things in there. But the room had these sort of like metal grate, sort of flaps in the floor. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Those are fun in heels. Yes. But I, they explained it to me like you put your head in the box in the floor and kind of these flaps come down around oh, you. Okay. Like an ostrich. Sort oh, of. I see. Okay. You put a camera inside uh-huh. so that you can play whatever's going on in the head on the monitor so you oh. can make sure that it's things are going yeah. well. Okay. It was wild. <laughs> yeah. And then we shot in the basement, the actual basement. Mm. You know? Yeah. And I loved being there. And I'll never forget Mink Stoll. No one told her, you know, <laughs> what. And you think like Mink Stoll, she's done it all. I mean, she's the star of Pink Flamingos, Certainly, the greatest yeah. cult movie ever made. And, you know, did things on film that still, still to this day, shock people. <laughs> yeah. Millennials are shocked by those movies oh, yeah. um, because they're so sensitive in mm-hmm. a way. And um, 
and Mink was there and no one told her like where we were. And I remember Natasha, they had her in a room. And if you don't know what is going on there, right. it doesn't, you're, you're kind of like, oh, I'm in a library or whatever. <laughs> and you, you don't really notice, you know, what the books are or whatever. Yeah. And Mink came out of the bathroom and she's like, this is the weirdest bathroom. <laughs> Why is there a wall of douches? You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, she just, you know, finally we were like, Oh, well, this is a porn studio, you know. You're like, either this is the gayest place I've ever right. been. <laughs> yeah. Where did we end up? Yeah. We are yeah. so polite. <laughs> Usually what? tampons, now it's douches. <laughs> exactly, exactly. She just couldn't. That's amazing to have Mink still like do a double take at anything. She's not really phased by anything. She certainly doesn't suffer fools. But mm. it was that thing where she no one had told her. And no, then, exactly. Yeah. Poor thing. That was actually very stressful because in that attic area where the crew are all wearing the hazmat suits. Yeah. That was her scene. And Natasha's character had sewn her mouth shut in a previous mm-hmm. scene. Mm-hmm. And so poor Mink had this, you know application across her mouth so she couldn't speak Mm. she couldn't drink and it was dusty in there and you know it was it was very stressful and she's writing on pieces of paper like hurry you know and stuff (laughs) which is like oh my god you know when you're making a movie the last thing you want is like a my icon yeah. to be screaming at me, you know, <laughs> on a notepad. Yeah, on a yeah, notepad. paper, right? Yeah, I'm thinking of that William Hurt movie to the little pad on his chest. Right. You're a massive John Waters fan. What was your first exposure to his work? Well, I mean, really, growing up in Maryland and being a kid who grew up in a very boring uh, part. Well, Annapolis, Maryland, is like sort of the Naval Academy. It's the sailboating capital of the world. Mm-hmm. It's it's totally preppy and sort of. I don't know, just so East Coast. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it sits between D.C. and Baltimore. And when you grow up Catholic there and you're obsessed with horror movies and goth music and anything that's like sort of alternative, Mm -hmm. especially in that school environment, you Mm -hmm. know, I think it'd be different if I had gone to public school, but it just felt so square and so conservative um, that when they were filming Hairspray, Mm -hmm. it it ended up being sort of a crossover thing. And it was sort of, you know, Hollywood to me was sort of a million miles away in my mind. And it was, I mean, it was thousands of miles away and, and and I wanted to make movies and I wanted to, but, but to hear that this filmmaker was making this movie right up the street and neighborhoods where my relatives lived um, was surreal. And then to hear uh, a kid come back to school who had been on the set because you know they were using locals. Sure, right. Uh, and, and and the kid, she said, "Oh, the movie's so weird. It's it, it's about this big fat girl, you know, who can dance." And you know, she didn't say anything about the racial integration or anything <laughs> about the, what the movie was really about. But she did say. And her mom is played by a man, you know, and that was like enough for me to pretend to not be interested. But of course I was like, I gotta see this movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that was it. Like I saw Hairspray and that led me to, you know, back then you could rent VHS tapes and no one questioned what you were renting. Oh yeah. You know, mom's video on Kent Island. I'll never forget. We rented Pink Flamingos and we went home and we watched it. My friend's parents where we were watching it, you know, basically busted us and <laughs> caused this huge thing what scene did they walk in did they i don't remember okay. i think an older brother ratted us out oh, or something okay. like that yeah the confrontation happened after i left so oh, i think I we see. made it through the whole movie sure. and then it became an issue um but for me it blew my mind my life was forever changed you know I, my entrance to drag was through divine mm-hmm. and through frankenfurter sure and so i have a very um a very filmic cult appreciation for drag because that's what I 
you know was how I was first introduced and it's sure. also the thing that it most I most connected with and and so I didn't meet John until much later I was a senior in college I never mm-hmm. I would go places where I'd heard you know in high school where apparently he hung out and yeah. this and that and you know look for him and never found him I would look for people like Mink Stoll and yeah. you know I just never and I had friends of course you'd see them all around Baltimore you know all the time but I never did and they'd see them like you know at the bank or whatever yeah. <laughs> um, but to me they were like these mythological creatures right. and um and so in college i was a student leader in the filmmaker organization but also a, a, an activist in the queer activist group and so at penn state at the time i could put together a, enough money to mm-hmm. bring people oh yeah. um so i selfishly would bring people that i wanted to meet <laughs> yeah you know course. so we brought quentin crisp and mm-hmm. you know all these yes. people yeah and and so we we you know got to meet these people and I brought John Waters because I was making a movie called Jizz Mopper and Mm. the school did not like that I was making that. And I thought, (laughs) well, I'm going to bring a filmmaker who's built a career off this kind of filmmaking. And of course, all the faculty that turned their nose up at my movie were the people first in line to get a photo with John Waters. So, so yeah, the hypocrisy, you know? Yeah. And it was very, yeah, satisfying to be brought back to Penn State 20 years later to screen All About Evil and, you know, (laughs) present it in full drag, you know. With the teachers lining up to take pictures with you. Basically, but they were all different teachers, you know, but, um, yeah, so I met him then, and and he, I was just a kid who brought him to Penn State. I don't think I was memorable or anything, and it wasn't until I created Midnight Mass mm-hmm. and um, had done that. But what he doesn't remember is that at Penn State, uh, when asking you know what what I was going to do, uh, it was either going to be New York or L.A., and he was the one who said, "Have you considered San Francisco?" Oh wow! And uh, told me about the Kuchar brothers mm-hmm. and uh, underground filmmaking, Canyon Cinema, and the coquettes it was before the documentary about the coquettes had come out yeah yeah and he said oh they were this renegade drag troupe the divine and me and mink we all used to hitchhike out to san francisco and hang out with them in the late 60s and they did shows at midnight in a cinema yeah and north beach before they would screen movies Mm -hmm. and so that was the seed that was planted in my head yeah at the time i didn't know i'm gonna go to san francisco and do that (laughs) you know i'm gonna do (laughs) exactly that yeah um but of course i look back on it now and i'm like wow you know he really you know he really did put me on a course yeah mapped out some better or worse (laughs) (laughs) and when you went to san francisco you did have some support from your family but a very limited amount right oh yeah have you heard that story (laughs) i I think i I, yeah i have but i'd love for you to elaborate well they were like i mean it was the mid 90s i was graduating from school i had wanted to go to nyu couldn't afford it i knew i was not going to stay in central pennsylvania and i really didn't want to move home to maryland um and so I, I said, I'm mov- moving to San Francisco. And of course, they were like parents, like, you know, you have no money, really. You have mm-hmm. no place to live. You have no job. And a one-way plane ticket, are you insane? Like, yeah. what do you stay home, make money, get a job, do, be responsible? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I'm going to go. And then they said, well, if you do, like, the only reason to call us is for a plane ticket home. Like, we're not going to pay your rent. We're not going to, you know, help you out. And I was so pissed that they would say that to me yeah not because i was spoiled but more because it was sort of like how dare you you know yeah that it was probably the best thing they ever could have said sure you know then i moved here and by any means necessary i was not going to call them <laughs> you, you know to right. prove that that yeah happened. exactly yeah. and i look back on it now and i'm like so glad because they had different relationships with each of their three children and and that was sort of the way i went and i think in a way 
you know, they, they were, um, you know, more supportive in some ways of, of the other two in ways that I look at now and I go, oh, you know, I think I had it the best because I had mm-hmm. to figure things out really quickly. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we lied. <laughs> you know, we... I mean, I, I probably shouldn't say how we survived, you know, but like we did anything we could to survive, you know. What about some friends of yours, you could say, did these some things? Some friends of ours stole, <laughs> lied, you know, kind of cheated our way into um, jobs, an sure. apartment, you know, mm-hmm. everything. But, you know, it was the mid 90s. And so, I don't know how long you you guys have been here. You look too young. To I have started been in 2007. OK, yeah. So I'm a San Franciscan. Oh, you are. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is home for me. So, so yeah. And it, I was definitely uh, places I probably shouldn't have been. Right. At that time. But I was there anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just different. It was before the even yeah. the first dot com boom. Yeah. It was still very bohemian and magical. And and um, what was the affordability? At the time, at the time, I mean, three of us at 22 years old were able to live in a beautiful apartment mm-hmm. in the Richmond, uh, not even in the outer Richmond. It was like Third Avenue in California, you know, kind of this sort of modern apartment with like, you know, one of us worked at Just Desserts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like kind of yeah. like coffee yeah. counter service jobs. I was an assistant manager yeah. at a landmark theater. Mm-hmm. You know, it was sure. just we didn't have really good jobs or anything. So you could, at that time you could work in a video shop or a coffee shop yeah. and pay um, to live with roommates, but have your own room, right, you know? Right. Yeah. The, the creative class were able to live in San Francisco for a long time. Yeah. For yeah. sure. You didn't have to be super wealthy to be there. Mm. Unlike now, which is, well, then it all changed with the dot, first dot com mm-hmm. boom. Yeah. Then that kind of fell out and mm-hmm. we had like a reprieve mm-hmm. and then basically consistently it's, it's just been, yeah, really hard. Yeah. And did you ever consider leaving San Francisco at any time? I would say more recently, I question my love affair with the city, mm-hmm. not necessarily leaving, but I think I grapple more with, frustrations versus my love sure. of the city, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So I, I'm not necessarily, I, I, I feel like I always would like to have one foot in the city because I just love it so much mm-hmm. and love so much about it. Um, but a lot of the changes I don't love sure. and they're kind of overwhelming. You know, What are some of the changes for those not familiar with what's happened really to San Francisco over the last 10, 15? Well, I mean, the biggest is, of course, the economic disparity where the, sure. the, the rich are so rich mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the, the cost of living is so high because people are making so much money and because they're young to some degree making a lot of money, they're, they're willing to live like they're in college, right? So, so they're willing to spend all this money on rent and have roommates and uh, maybe yeah. even share a room, you know? Yeah, and yeah. it's like, do you see what you're doing? You know, you're just lining the pockets of greedy landlords, which is one thing, but because of that, then the costs of everything, haircuts, food, groceries, you know, Mm -hmm. um, skyrocket while the poor get poorer. And I find that while we've always had public homelessness and drug addiction and mental illness, that that our sort of callousness Mm -hmm. and our um, inability to even look at people Mm -hmm. is... um, it's inhumane and it's Mm -hmm. just sad and gross and you know, and you can't live in this city and not have to grapple with, you know, sure that like, you know, it almost feels like a third world country. Like I've been to Manila where the rich are so rich and the poor are so poor. And as the city evolves, I feel like that's where we're at, you know? 
Do you feel the same way? That's why we actually moved out of the city proper. We Mm -hmm. finally, after being there for so long, we wanted to be able to get there easily, obviously, you know, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, it became too much. And exactly what you said, it's very, very sad. And people's callousness towards it is sort of upsetting, especially with with the homeless and when the homeless sort of with mental illness and that there's no real support systems or Mm -hmm. understanding of what's needed to sort of help those people. And, you know, not a few blocks away, like at the doorstep of Twitter, Uh you know, of Uber, of these billion dollar, you know, whatever companies. Sure. Where it's like, you know, there's no philanthropic part of your organization that can build a hospital or, you know, like. Yeah, or some mm -hmm. kind of shelter or. Something. I mean, it used to be, you know, the Rockefellers and there was a part of the American capitalist society and, and structure where maybe it wasn't required, but philanthropy and responsibility right. was part of uh, accruing wealth. Right. It was part and of the now, fabric. Of, yeah. yeah. And now that is, it's just so gross. It's all gone. And, you know, no, you know, and, and now you have Amazon employees and Walmart employees who live on food stamps. And, you know, right. it's just like, yeah. so it's not just San Francisco. That no. is one thing I'll say about traveling so sure. much, which yeah. I get to do. The conversations we're having about San Francisco, while maybe more extreme, mm-hmm. kind of exist any in any city I'm kind of mildly interested in. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's so, true. you know, you know, I love Seattle. They're having the same conversations. Austin, Texas, the same thing, you yeah. know. Even when you go to like Amsterdam or, you know, out, out of the country, they're they're grappling with all this stuff. Oh, so, wow. Okay. So yeah. it's an international. It is international. Uh, sort of a disease. I mean, Ama- Amazon yeah. was considering Amsterdam and Amsterdam was saying, please don't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and Amazon just pulled out of uh, what Queens, right? They yeah. were going to do a whole thing there because and... people basically protested, right? You know, and right. activists fought it. Thank I mean, God for them, you know, because I think property values were going to like initially triple and yeah. then go higher, yeah. right? Yeah. When you have these employees that are working in these companies, a lot of them are making six figures, and yet they still have to live in their car, yeah, because yeah. they can't afford to live anywhere near their work, and so they're. You know, it's sort crazy. of living in their car during the week and then driving to their apartment, which is two hours away on the weekends and coming back. It's it's, it's nuts. So you get out of your $500 a month bullshit parking spot and step <laughs> over, you know, someone who's sleeping on the sidewalk. It's just, right. it's, yeah. yeah it's, which is such a world away from the San Francisco of old. I mean, I, and sure. I, this is my first trip to San Francisco, but just really, yeah, which, wow. yeah, but I've just had, you know, read so much about it. I've just watched from afar and been stunned. It like every once in a while I go on Craigslist just to see what the uh, apartment rates are. Well, I think if we didn't have rent control, most of us would all be gone. Uh, oh. yeah. Any yeah, anyone yeah. that's <laughs> that's what happened to yeah. me. I was like, oh, I'm going to move out of the city. Watch me go. Like, smuck, 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 smuck. And then I was like, oh, you mean the thirty percent rent increase this year? Oh, I'm going to just swallow that down. Give me a second. <laughs> yeah, that's why we ended up buying. Honestly, it was yeah. because yeah. it was easier than having our rent go. It was insane. I was like, yeah. we're paying a mortgage already. We might as well. Yeah. Cheaper to keep yeah. her. Cheaper yeah, to keep yeah, her. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, we're we're the golden shackles. My partner and I, mm-hmm. teeny tiny little apartment but right in Hayes Valley you know with rent control in a building with fantastic neighbors we all we all celebrate Thanksgiving together that's lovely yeah there's a lot of there's drag queens that live across the hall from me Mm -hmm. who've been doing 
I don't know if you know Mrs. Vera and Vera Sphere. They live right across the hall. And, Wonderful. you know, Sand, who's our downstairs neighbor. It's very Tales of the City. She's yeah. 80 something <laughs> years old. She's a former Vegas showgirl. She worked with Liberace or Lee, as she wow. calls him, for a decade. Has amazing stories. In the 80s, she became an experimental musician. Mm-hmm. Um, has the best stories. And so my partner and I kind of take care of her a little bit, you know, like mm. make sure, because again, She's living in San Francisco. Mm. If she, if anything happens to this apartment, I mean, she sometimes can't pay for her cat food, you know? Yeah. And so we get her, Trader Joe's gift certificates and, you know, make sure that she's driven places. But I would much rather live in a building like that where we look after each other. Right. I mean, my partner and I are the youngest people in the building. No, no, that's not true. A young couple moved in downstairs and they're Mm -hmm. wonderful. But it's very much... A relic of the past. Sure. That does not, which this kind of living, Mm -hmm. when I moved to San Francisco, this kind of knowing your neighbors, being friends with people you lived with, being part of a community that was creative and vibrant. Sure. You know, that was normal. It was everywhere. And now people come over to our building because you walk in the hallways, it looks like sort of a David Lynch, Almodovar kind of explosion. (laughs) You know, it's like really why all the walls are painted. There's huge paintings everywhere. Like, you know, and and people go, oh my God, your building's so crazy. It's like, this was the norm, you know, at one time. Yeah. It's really sad. What are the buildings like now? Like say the newer apartment buildings. I think colder. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you realize that you're just being basically gouged for every penny you know mm-hmm. not all of them i have friends who live again i think some of the rent control buildings where the landlords have been good people and yeah. you know taking care of the sad thing about that though is it is the minority you right know, the majority right. are now these buildings run by these rental companies yeah. sure faceless essentially. and everyone yes. even the single family homes who rent out they're all you know they're all doing this tricky thing now where they're like oh you have to move out because a family member's going to move in there's mm-hmm. like this legal loophole and then uh-huh. they renovate it and then rent it out for three times as much. oh sure yeah. <laughs> right and those owner move in evictions were so popular at one point they had to create another law <laughs> you know to kind of really manage them it's just uh-huh. it's very been very ugly yeah Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And, you know, with social media, every day you feel like you're following some new friend's saga about their eviction. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Just got my notice. You're going to yeah. increase my rent to, what, seven grand a month now? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Or businesses, small businesses that had been there, that uh, had been cornerstones of mm-hmm. neighborhoods yeah. for, for decades. Yeah. Having to having to leave as well. Costume Chow. shop. Yes. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, who knows why they're really closing? Sometimes I think we make assumptions, sure. you know, that n- might not necessarily be true, but there are so many that have been pushed out. Yeah. That you kind of feel like, well, you know, they probably were pushed out because of a rent increase. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very much like New York, New York. All these great places are closing. And uh, and I'm originally from the Boston area, Uh, which, you know, is wildly different now than it was 25 years ago and certainly different than like 40 years ago when it was like considered kind of a mini New York, like sort of a junior. Right. uh, And none of that stuff is is around now. Yeah. Boston and New York, especially New York, just feels like 
wow, there really is a Starbucks and a Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> on every corner of the East Village. Yeah. You know, it's like, this was the East Village. Yeah, you know, right. like, this was the, 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 the mecca of some of the most important and vibrant creativity. And now yeah. it's just meh yeah and there was even struggles with club coming and their cabaret license oh, like really? there was some neighbor you know trying to shut it down oh, or shocker. whatever yeah right exactly and they i think and they he's finally, a celebrity yeah i know you think they'd love to oh no yeah. alan coming like right down the street yeah. yeah oh yeah i've been loving watching the gentrification of oakland too like that is just the craziest thing yeah i, I remember the first time i was on bart and i saw like a lone small child with his lacrosse stick walk <laughs> off the subway and i was like yeah. That just ain't right. That ain't right. That's yeah. not the city I know. And again, it's everywhere. Yeah. It really it is. is. Yeah. Any interesting American urban environment yeah. has artisanal toast. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. that, yeah. that that's sure. where yeah. we're headed. Yeah. And yeah. and and it's also international. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, you guys kind of moved to the suburbs in a way, right? Yeah. You know, and and so it's like are the interesting underground irreverent edgy folks going to go suburban maybe i have a lot of friends um especially in the new york area like justin vivian bond Mm -hmm. and and really like new york staples of sure of just underground culture queer culture really amazing folks moving to you know like small towns right really small towns like one traffic light type towns wow and buying old victorian houses and things you know and uh i have to say i I totally totally get it Mm -hmm. don't you you just fantasize about it later i do well Mm -hmm. we talk about how we could you know maybe someday like keep our apartment in san francisco but we'll never be able to buy in the city proper sure you know kind of have our eyes on other places yes running close enough to get back and forth or and, maybe not close enough like uh-huh. we've actually talked about portugal you know stuff wow. like where you can um get the golden visa you know um because if you uh, buy something this this old or buy, spend this much money or whatever mm-hmm. you get you know it kind of automatically comes with a visa oh, wow. my partner is turkish so oh. we're in a binational relationship already so the idea of being in a different country does not scare us sure you know? yeah and you, you travel so much anyway. and i love to travel yeah there you go and and how long have you and your partner been together uh seven years how did you meet grinder oh, oh that's lovely that's fabulous <laughs> that gives right. everyone help for they can when they're like all oh, these goddamn apps i can't right. meet anyone there you go well and you know it's funny because it sounds like so lascivious but the reality of it is i don't uh go out to meet people very often and you know you can you can hook up via these sex apps or whatever but what was interesting about our meeting was that we actually did use it just to meet like yeah he was in the neighborhood we had been chatting because i traveled so i'd chat mm. with him and then we wouldn't meet and i'd fly out of town and then come back <laughs> and then it was like oh you're you're in the neighborhood again and there was this day that he was really close like mm-hmm. across the street and i was working at a coffee shop and he was having lunch and yeah. so we just literally walked over and had coffee mm-hmm. so it was sort of an innocent you know it took like three dates before we hooked up, you know. It's very old fashioned. You liked him. Yeah. Yeah. But I yeah. I also think you can fuck and then have a relationship. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Right? Why yeah, not? Definitely. Yeah. That is my look. Look. Okay. Well, look. why not? Because when then you, you know are, you're compatible that way. When you're way. an advanced fucker, okay? Like yeah. when you're a sex worker who sure. fucks for a living, yeah. you just you need a certain amount of 
skill, experience, and like down ass attitude, enthusiasm. And you don't yeah. know that until you take it for a ride. You just don't know. You yeah, got test true. drive. If you put that off too long, and then suddenly you're like, oh no, I need to know like, things. It's like, <laughs> do you own lube? Yes or no, sir? <laughs> right, right. Are Madam. you aware of the importance of uh, this, that, and yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> True. Do you like talking? You don't. Oh, okay. I should have known that. I should have known that. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Let's look at your film collection. <laughs> and speaking of film collections, you are quite the film buff. Yes. And I want to know what the first movie that you remember as a kid that like just made you go like, oh, I, I, I like these things. The one that I remember really strongly is Psycho. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I think it was one of the first real horror movies I'd been exposed to as a really young kid. Yeah. And um, I also think there's an inherent queerness in that movie mm-hmm. um, with him. Obviously, you know, he's such a mama's boy and, you know, he's not playing it butch, that's for sure. And um, and I just was fascinated by it, how dark it was, how scary it was. I thought it was so shocking. Sure. And, you know, watched it repeatedly. And I think, too, in the 80s, it was really easy as a kid to be exposed to things that you shouldn't have been. Totally. The video store. Yeah. Especially the mom and pop video stores. Mom and pop video stores. I mean, I rented things I never should have been allowed to rent, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was just attracted to darkness and horror at a really young age. Mm-hmm. But it was really probably Psycho that was the first... Yeah, we got Psycho from the library. Yeah, which you could do. You could yeah, do the li- records and, and yeah. VHS from the library was yeah. like the greatest thing. And but also, I have to mention, and I'm sure you're a fan of this movie, Crimes of Passion. Oh yeah, it's so good. And so Anthony Perkins in that actually did poppers for real on the set to oh, get into that. Oh, that's space. hilarious. Yeah, it. it's so good. Anyone who hasn't seen it, Ken Russell, get the unrated version. Yeah, somewhere was just showing it in San Francisco. Oh wow, I think they just did a screening of it at the Alamo Draft House. Oh, because okay. I remember looking at it and going like, "Wow, that'd be so cool to go see." Crimes of Passion at the movie theater. That we would do be. have exhibitors now in, in San Francisco, the Roxy and the Alamo, and you know where repertory stuff is still oh, strong cool. in, okay. in, in San Francisco. Not as strong as Los Angeles, of course, but I'm glad that I live in a city where you can still go see a movie like that. Totally. You know? I mentioned the New Beverly Theater so often. It's yeah, part of a, a drinking it. game for the show. People are like, every time you oh, mention really? it, take a shot. Yeah. So I love that place. And yeah. anytime I schedule a trip, I'm like, please don't do an all-nighter when I'm away. Okay, okay. I'm out uh, of right, right. Although I did miss Skate Town USA. They uh, showed right. that. And it kind of broke my heart a little yeah. bit. But what's your favorite uh, repertory theater? Uh, well, I mean, when I moved here, the yeah. Castro Theater was still being programmed by Anita Manga, who was such a brilliant programmer. Um, sadly, all of that kind of programming, full-time repertory programming, with the exception of maybe the Roxy, um, is kind of left the city. And, and so the Castro, while, um, still an amazing movie palace and certainly where my, um, home is as far mm-hmm. as a performer, cause we do, do all of our shows there. They can't program the way Anita used to program and, and make a, a, make oh, it work. So sure. they do a lot of these sing-alongs and you know um, runs of things like Bohemian Rhapsody and you oh, know which sure, is yeah, which yeah. is fabulous and it makes sense. But um, back then, oh my God, she'd do like a week of Takashi Miike's audition, you know, <laughs> and it would p- be packed. Or they oh, do sure. like two nights of Grey Gardens and it would sell out. Yeah, you know, like an old documentary would sell out the Castro. Right, it was right. amazing, and sadly. Because of streaming and DVDs and everything now being accessible, yeah. um, those sorts of the heyday of repertory s- stuff is gone. Yeah, yeah. So I'd say probably the Roxy is mm-hmm. the is the the, the truest mm-hmm. still. You know, mm-hmm. um, the Alamo obviously isn't the modern version of yeah. it. You know, they they have you know multiplexed the audio. I mean, thank God I'm not criticizing them at all because they went into a cinema that had sat empty. 
and been squatted in for 30 years. Oh, wow. You know, in the mission. Okay, yeah. Luckily, it had never been torn down. And they went in and restored this thing mm -hmm. to its beautiful grandeur but they took the balcony and put a bunch of mini screens up oh, there okay, sure which i get because that's how they're going to make it work financially yeah exactly and they really they're selling food and they have a big bar there i love their model because mm -hmm. it's really um sustainable as far yeah. as keeping cinema going but the Roxy is still that old, rundown, oh, yeah. creepy the smell. yeah the smell. Yeah. <laughs> the smell you know it's got the old projection booth and I promote, I really give credit to these uh, folks in our organization who do the producing, uh, a show there called Film School Dropouts, mm -hmm. which is sort of the grandchild of Midnight Mass. So, okay. so um, Veruca Bath Salts and Jerry Lee co-host <laughs> um, pre-shows before screenings. It's very much the Peaches Christ um, show of the 90s. Sure. Um, and they do that... Uh, bi-monthly and so like their next one is they just did rock and roll high school oh god i love that yeah. movie so amazing. much amazing and i actually saw that when i was so young that and i was a fan of the monkeys that i thought the ramones were a made-up band made for the movie oh really yeah, well, yeah that makes yeah. sense actually why, why wouldn't you think that yeah right yeah and they did a pre-show with a band and you know they're just great and they're they're upcoming screening oh god i should promote it here but it's um you can find it at the roxy.com mm. um is nowhere the Greg Rocky film. Oh, okay. So yeah. just the fact that like these guys can, you know, do that range. Do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're talking about the golden age of repertory theater also and the golden age of VHS shops. We have access to so many more things theoretically now, but there isn't that accidental discovery that you were sort of mentioning before or alluding to. And I saw everything, you know, because yeah. you'd rent like four or five for the weekend. Yeah. And, you know, watch them and then return them and so and also too you rent it based on what the what the cover looks oh, like sure. you know like, yeah. a, like an album yeah you know yeah. It was sort of like we didn't have trailers we could stream we didn't have you you basically looked at the you know and they used to have these big giant herschel gordon lewis clamshell ones i love you the know, clamshell yeah, where, yeah. the color me blood red and um you know the wizard of gore and all that i rented as a kid i rented caligula Oh wow! You yeah. know, because yeah. no one told me not to. One yeah. of the only porns where they—I mean, movies where they really fuck. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah they, I right. couldn't believe it. They used to keep that behind the counter at the movie house, the place I rented from, oh, and really? then later bought most of their stock because there was oh, ever right, like right. buy any VHS for two fifty, buy, it, and then it eventually became fifty cents, and then I was like hauling boxes of stuff out of there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, it's John Cameron Mitchell on a beautiful spring day in New York. And I really love your show, Craig, I, I, but I really do need to know um, for my own peace of mind and perhaps yours, if you're gay, are you gay? I always like to know when, when someone's gay. I mean, I forget I asked this if it's uncomfortable for you, um, but it's an uncomfortable world, so you should be ready to be uncomfortable. Now, you mentioned the Kuchar brothers. Tell everyone a little bit about them who might not know. Well, they were um, Mike and George Kuchar, actual brothers who made films, experimental films uh, in San Francisco. Uh, back when experimental filmmaking was uh, popular, you mm -hmm. know, and there was this, this uh, how would you describe Canyon Cinema at the time? And, and still, I think it's kind of a cooperative distribution company mm -hmm. where you could basically get these movies and screen them for very little like a, a you know a fraction of 
you know, you just do a profit share. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was it was uh, very much a movement that was specific to San Francisco. Okay. That was modeled in other cities, but like Barbara Hammer, the Kachar Brothers, tons of the best experimental filmmakers came out of the Bay Area. That being said, a lot of experimental film I cannot watch. You know, it drives me crazy. <laughs> I, I don't get it. But the Kuchar brothers were, you know, George was such a flamboyant weirdo who uh-huh. who made weird, crazy movies. They were from New York, uh, uh-huh. but moved to the Bay Area. But they were making these movies that were really inspired by Hollywood films. But okay. They were just so campy and weird and bad and, uh-huh. and you know, often had drag featured. And I mean, one of the movies that George actually co-made not with Mike, but that should be sought out is a film called Thundercrack. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a feature also with real fucking. Um, oh wow! You know, and yeah, and 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 considered one of the you know one of the more outrageous narrative pornographic films, mm-hmm. which I got the pleasure of producing a screening at the Castro of it in oh, honor wow. of its anniversary. And yeah. and part of that was because um, it got a big Blu-ray. Uh, re-release oh, okay. yeah. yeah so yeah. you can find thundercrack now on blu-ray um but yeah they were just wild and then george went on to teach at the san francisco art institute mm-hmm. where he became famous for every semester the kids uh or I should say students because some of them might not have been kids but most of them were young they would make a movie with george mm-hmm. and these movies are insane they're just <laughs> crazy yeah, yeah. wild and there's also a great documentary Jennifer Croup made a few years ago, if you want to know more about these guys, called It Came From Kuchar. Okay. And, um, you know, th- that that will really fill you in better than I can. Mm-hmm. After Psycho, what are some of the other movies that really did it for you? Well, the classics. I mean, like... Uh, you Texas know, Chainsaw Massacre. The is a Texas big Chainsaw Massacre yours, right? was a big, big, big thing for me. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know why. The first in Nightmare on Elm Street was a big, oh sure, uh, thing because I'd never seen that sort of combination of fantasy and horror so effectively and so creatively. I mean, mm-hmm. what I love about a Nightmare on Elm Street is that. Bob Shea of New Line Cinema had a teeny tiny little office in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And when no one would take Pink Flamingos, oh, right. nobody would take Pink Flamingos. Yeah. It was Bob Shea yeah. and his little New Line Cinema office who, who decided to try to screen it at midnight. Well, the rest is history. Pink Flamingos screened at midnight for years. It was a big hit. And put him in a position where when Wes Craven was turned down by every big <laughs> distributor, every big studio, yeah. and here he has the script. I mean, imagine the script for oh, Nightmare yeah, on Elm sure. Street. No one had seen anything like it. I mean, yeah. it's so creative. You know, this guy haunts you in your dreams, yeah. you know, and he has razor And just fingers. as a filmmaker, the story is amazing because yeah. you are in a dreamland half the time. You can yeah. do anything you want. Totally. Do anything. Totally. Sky's the limit. Anytime. Yeah. Like, I dream of setting myself up with that scenario. Right? Go anywhere. Yeah. And it was Wes Craven after he'd already made some major hits. Kind of. I mean, Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes, they were independent films. They were successful in the genre world, but they weren't those sorts of um, blockbuster, you know. Sure. So people, you know, and and for Nightmare on Elm Street, basically Bob Shea scraped together more money than they ever spent on any movie. But really, at the time, that's a, it was a very low budgeted film. Sure. You know, very indie, you know, low budget. So I love that, that, you know, that New Line Cinema, they call it the house that Freddie built, you know, uh-huh. which then went on to make Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? So it's like Freddie and that creativity, yeah. you know, of course the sequels become, you know, 
what they became. Do but, you have a favorite sequel? Well, Dream Warriors, of course. Mm. Br- of course. I mean, <laughs> you can't beat Dawkin. Yeah, yeah, no. And, and also, too... I Greg Wasson. Sorry, I had yeah. to get that in there. Well, of it... <laughs> course. But it's that thing where it's uh, Wes Craven, once again, stepped back in. To, you know, the se- the second one, which is the gay one, of yeah. course, with Mark Patton. And there's that whole documentary about That's coming out, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's coming out soon, and I'm really excited to see it. Me too. Um, but... Uh, that was frustrating for fans yeah. and frustrating for, I think, Wes to uh-huh. some degree. So he agreed to come back in and create the story okay. with his son for um, for Dream Warriors. And, of course, it makes a huge difference. You know, it was very satisfying. So that's my favorite sequel as yeah. well. Oh, and, of course, when he came back for New Nightmare. I love that, too. Again, Wes Craven. Again. Yeah. And then totally this bananas idea of making it them being playing themselves and everything. And Heather I'm Langenkamp coming back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, okay. I have a story about Heather Langenkamp that oh, I think please, is really funny. Please. Um, <laughs> so I'm a horror nerd, obviously, right? So um, I did this horror convention in indianapolis called horror hound with elvira another person i idolize you know idolize right and then get to get to work with and become friends with like you know had lunch with her the other day when i was in la and like still to this day you know she came to see me and gaze and you know still and it was like whispering in my ear like you know she's just become my mentor but i'll always always be a fan sure always worship yeah. her same thing with my friendships with john and and mink and stuff it's like yeah. i'll never stop being a fan even though in some ways doing more normal things with them is weirder than doing a show you, <laughs> <Yeah>. know? <laughs> right. you know like um right. so cassandra and i are doing um this horror convention but we're out of drag we're going mm-hmm. down to the lobby to have dinner or something and so the elevator opens and you know you're at this sort of like airport hotel you know, where you're not really near anything in Indianapolis and the convention kind of takes over. And so there's sure. horror fans everywhere. So you kind of you're kind of fine being incognito. And Peaches is certainly not like uh, popular the way Elvira or Heather Langenkamp is. In fact, I'm kind of maybe the scariest thing there to a lot of people <laughs> that attend, you know, because, you know, it's very straight, <laughs> yeah. you know, some of these sure, horror conventions. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, I get in the elevator with Cassandra. We go down a floor, elevator doors open up, it's Heather Langenkamp <laughs> and Amanda Wiss, who plays Tina right, right. in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. They both look amazing. Yeah. I mean, they look like older versions of themselves, yeah. just very, you know, and just really, you know, not, not like to say something and, rude, but yeah, you go to yeah. these conventions and you're kind of like, oh no, oh, you know, yeah. you meet people and you're like, oh my God, you know, that's different. you've had it rough, you know. So yeah. that's why that we haven't seen you. Yeah. Yeah. That's different yeah. than I remember. So, but they look great and they get in the elevator and I go, oh my God, I'm so sorry, but I do the thing that you don't want any, you know, <laughs> I, I'm such a, like I couldn't control myself yeah. and, um, and they give me, and they were sweet about it, but to give me the polite we're okay, in a very can, close quarters right now. Yes, yes, you can stop talking now. We've, we've said what, what you, you've said what you needed to say. Yeah, acknowledged. So, yeah. so we're standing there, and Cassandra's like pissed that they're not giving me more. So she's like, I love this. Um, this is Peach's Christ. Okay, this right here, this is Peach's Christ. This is right. a, a famous horror drag queen. Like you know, get you should, together. You should do a show with her. You know, yeah. And That's why to- your friend should always be hype. Exactly. Yeah. You gotta I have can't. a hype bitch. I'm, I'm just they're, saying. And they're totally like. Oh my God, thank you. Oh yeah, okay. So then I'm like, well, this is Elvira. And then of course they freak out, you know. So it was just a very surreal elevator ride. The nicest yeah. thing that, I've yeah. ever that heard. Is, that yeah. is so lovely, yeah. It was a little embarrassing actually because they weren't still that impressed. Oh. <laughs> they were kind of like, who? 
And then you were like, but that's Elvira. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> then, then they were impressed. He'd yeah. send it down the line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. down the Elvira's line. telling you something. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. so you know. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> you do know where you are, right? <laughs> but they were lovely. I mean, I won't say anything bad about no, them. No, I'm sure, of course never, not. Yeah. Um, I have walked you know. up to porn stars i have literally either directed or had sex with recently and they're like nice to meet you I'm oh like, right right you fuck a lot of people i'm gonna just choose not to be offended by that yeah you're not a faces person i guess yeah you know, i've been doing this 15 years it's fine it's fine it's fine hold on let me turn around yeah. <laughs> you didn't have the hype woman we could have sorted this out. right right <laughs> do you know who you're talking to right now <laughs> well do they that don't, for yourself. You don't recognize do me <laughs> With my without my drag and oh, say, fair you know, without oh, I mean nice? in a way it's sort of like if you're if you're not presenting the way they're accustomed exactly. to exactly yeah. and yeah. I love to change my hair uh, yeah. I walk into people who know me well and they're like who are you who are you <laughs> it's kind of like a superhero kind it of is. thing because yeah. you know people don't think that you're in a room with them often you know where they're talking about you and you're kind of like wow, this is weird. Like, should I tell them that I'm right. standing right here? You know, yeah. I've had people tell me, um, oh, Peaches, you know, she put me on the list. And I'm like, uh-huh. wow. Okay, and how do you know her? <laughs> oh, we're really good friends. You know, it's sort of like they don't know that they're talking to me. Yeah. That's the amazing. And did they get in? No. Well, I, I, I mean, <laughs> it's changed a little bit with social media and, of course, Drag Race. Oh, Because there was a time where we didn't, show ourselves out of our character. It was like kiss. Yeah, you never exactly. knew what the hell you they looked like. You wanted yeah. to create that mystique. You wanted to and you could because you know you you put out press releases with photos and marketing and you performed at shows and public events. Yeah. Now with social media and then when I made a movie right. um and was directing the movie as Joshua and stuff, I had to make a decision. But I have some drag performer friends who really don't show themselves out of character mm -hmm. um, but that now is very old school because drag sure. race really has changed it because they become famous both in drag and out of drag right yeah. exactly. they shoot them and, both ways and the yeah. transformation itself is half of what is so fascinating just watching the change from yeah. point a to point b yeah. they gotta get invested in that story yeah, no, absolutely what's your feeling overall about drag race I think it's terrible. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think that's what everyone thinks I should say. Uh, like I should be some bitter queen about it. And, um, and the reality of it is I have not auditioned. If I wanted to go on the show, I should audition. So I think any older queen or successful queen who's sort of, um, I, I feel like I get asked about it in this way that's like, um, does it annoy you? And I'll say this. I love what it's done for drag in terms of making it more popular and more mm -hmm. of a viable business and uh and really given um not just the the girls who are on the show but a lot of us a bigger platform sure um and and i actually am entertained by the show i'm a fan yeah. of the show i right. i when i first invited sharon needles to come and do a show with us we already had the show planned mm -hmm. we were already doing shows at the castro i was naive to how much of um a, a response that would get sure you know and so of course then i'm like oh my god these bitches have marquee value you know i should i should work with and um you know so that was an evolution but i will only work with people that inspire me or that i'm interested sure. in working yeah. with um that being said i do think as much as the show has been wonderful and very successful mm-hmm 
in a good and positive way for a lot of us. Uh, I built a career on being niche and underground sure. and weird. Um, and so there's part of me that doesn't feel like um, it's it's a fit for me as a as a contestant, right? And and not a fit for a lot of drag that I admire. Mm-hmm. I think you should not look to drag race to. Um, represent all of drag. And sure. I think too many people do that and then mm-hmm. are frustrated by Drag Race. Right. Too many of my friends yeah. even, where really? I'm like, yeah, but it's a TV show. It's just one thing. It's just yeah. sort of dominating right now. But for artists, you know, that that um, aren't ever going to be on Drag Race, I still think it benefits us. I still think it's opening people's and I'm minds. I'm sorry, but look, we have this you know, subculture that gets commercialized too. And like bad things come with exposure. You have to clean up your act more. You get on the VH1 suddenly, you got to just start behaving and obeying certain things. And that's not what we do, which is just not nice. But I think especially like on this side of the room, we all come from the East Coast and smaller places where like, they know drag club where I'm from, (laughs) you know, like drag race and having that exposure to like, you know, 99% of our country where we don't live is like life changing for a lot of like baby queers and artists out there who try to be weird. That's the part that I really love is the baby queer part because for, in in drag and in trans identity and all the gray areas, um, Mm -hmm. when I was growing up, you know, and we, had tranny shack you know um which you know now tranny is a pejorative back then it was it was and it's hard to tell young people this because they don't believe it but it's like (laughs) it actually was a term of endearment right and because we were so vilified Mm -hmm. together trans women um drag performers who were cis men drag performers who were trans women people who were anything in between Mm -hmm. non-binary all of us even within the gay community still getting that even even hated by gay pride parades tranny shack was an umbrella community the straight men transvestites uh you know who crossdressers who would come there with their wives and cruise each other yeah it was amazing because if we got beat up mm-hmm. i got beat up the same way she got beat up uh-huh. so it didn't really matter what we were all sisters yeah and it didn't matter what our sexuality was what our genitalia was uh anything back then animatronic a cis woman was a regular performer of ours who she was a fierce queen. We didn't care that she had a vagina. You know, it's like now I feel like I miss again, sound old, but I miss those days in some ways mm-hmm. where drag was still underground enough. Now I'm, I'm happy for progress. I mean, sure. I'm glad gay people can get married. I'm glad trans folks have more rights. I am so happy for that, but I do miss a time mm-hmm. where there was way less infighting mm-hmm. and way less nitpicking. Yeah about each other because we were all in the same boat right there wasn't even enough to like break into subgroups and clicks and like little mm-hmm. we're just tearing each other apart yeah. and mm-hmm. anyway but i think drag race the negative part that i was going to bring up is i'm not a big fan of its evolving fan culture uh, sure okay yeah. and that's where i'm like Ew, where it's are so these weird people to watch. coming from? Yeah. I feel like Ugh. sometimes gay porn can be kind of similar. Like mm-hmm. I work with a lot of, well, I produce and direct gay porn sometimes. So like, yeah. you know, and that's <laughs> nasty. Like, especially if you are... Oh, the not fans, even are. Known, fans are the worst. The fans oh, are see, I'm not known I'm, as... I, I know the gay porn world. I'm friends with 
performers mm-hmm. and producers, but I'm not part of the culture, oh, so I haven't man. seen the fan culture. Those blogs, though, y'all. So what's some of their nastiness? Give us a so little taste like, of the... He doesn't deserve to be here. He likes vagina. Did you see he has a girlfriend? I, I went see. on his social media. Yeah. He's not gay sure, at all. Sure. I'm like, sir, you're in the closet. Like, what are you doing? That's the only reason you're mad. I'm like, why are you mad yeah. and yelling? <laughs> right. You want a gay porn blog. I mean, the Drag Race fans now will tell these girls to go kill themselves. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know. That's exactly it. Like, that crazy. It's just the... And it's... I don't know, it's coming from that shame and guilt spiral within and like resting it out. But then there is this extra like bitchy, catty. Comp- that's the thing I hate about the competitive nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I never well, understand. That's the thing. I could know. never succeed on that show because they keep talking about doing this Legends show, uh-huh. not World of Wonder. I mean, when I say they, I mean fans. And then it gets brought up in queer blogs and stuff. And there was one time where they thought we were shooting it because enough of us were gone or something. And, you know, the idea would be to put me and Jackie Beat and Varla Jean Merman and Coco Peru and Vaginal Cream Davis and Flotilla DeBarge and Lady Bunny all in a drag race style show. And the reality of it is we don't compete with each other that way. That's not how we've evolved. So we wouldn't we'd be like, oh, well. That challenge is for Coco. Yeah. Because you clearly (laughs) are the monologue writer. (laughs) You'd kill that. Why don't you do that? Like, I'm not going to go for it. You know, it really kind of uh, the competition aspect leads to a weird conformity. And also, everything's a competition. And like, you have to sing, you have to dance, you have to be funny, you You have have to dress right. And so, like, everybody becomes this perfect. And they bring it to everything. Like, even my shows. They come to see Mean Gays. They have to choose a favorite. It's like, this person was the best. It's like, you know what? Actually, we're team. And so I may not have been as funny as that person because it was her job to be the funny, dumb one. And my job was to keep the show on it or whatever. You know, it's like, it's not a competition. It's a whole show. We're working together to produce a show for you. But everything's a competition. And that is an effect of the TV show for sure. Sure, And the internet in general. It's just brutal there now. People feel like they can say anything they want on the internet. It's nasty. They don't care. And some of these are the queer kids in Idaho that we were like hoping to reach. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> you're, you're this is how you're behaving no 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 i don't yeah. want you to you don't get to tell so-and-so that they should go kill themselves right you can't behave but they do and they and it's you know interesting it's like an exposure to drag to people who haven't had to have what i like to call the pc ass whooping that you get when you right. actually get to a place like san francisco where yeah. you learn you don't say that yeah and we don't do that and that's not funny here it might be funny in idaho but i don't care like yeah. you right. still don't get to do that Learning how to be at the cocktail party, basically. Yeah, well, every time, you know, friends from home come from, like, Indiana or South Carolina or, like, somewhere else, you're like, okay, which one of my friends is going to lay the smack down first? Because it's going to happen a little bit, (laughs) at least once. And we have bigger fish to fry. Do you not know who's in the White House? It's like, are we kidding? This is how you, as a young queer person, are are spending your energy yeah. attacking some girl that did something on TV you didn't like because she played a game and sent another girl home. Like maybe take that energy and focus on the fact that we are in the most fucked up situation. You know, yeah. right. maybe yeah. that's overwhelming and they can't access, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of like if ever there was a time for mobilization and activism and progressives getting together, it's like, but we can't, we just can't. And especially these isolated people. Mm -hmm. Like we sit in this lovely liberal little bubble. We've created even here. We're fighting with each other all the time though. Mm -hmm. I look at my friends online. I'm like, wait a second. You're all fighting over the use of this word or this queen said this thing. It's like, shut up. 
you know yeah. sit and quit it barbara yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i know i hate that i hate that and bdsm people love to do it they're like no submissive means this and slave right, means right, that right. And oh. that's different mm-hmm. dominant mm-hmm. never mm-hmm. switch how about you get over yourself <laughs> right lighten <laughs> up it's a game put I mean, your yeah. on it be done <laughs> heclina said this and i think I, at first when she said it flippantly i was like she would comment like on these fights and really piss people off. <laughs> this is why we have the president we do. Yeah. And uh-huh. it had, yes, you know, it was exactly. like, and at first I was like, whoa, that's kind of, you know, but then as I would see these fights more and more, I'm like, she's absolutely right. Like uh-huh. so when true. the gay community was devastated by AIDS, yeah. queer community, um, you know, lesbians came in and took care of these men. Right. The men that were well enough um, joined women who were well enough and they formed ACT UP mm-hmm. and they, you know, they, they they responded. They were activist groups. I mean, and I'm looking and I'm like, is this situation we're in not as horrifying? I mean, no, people aren't dying the same way, but like, it's terrifying. I mean, he could literally destroy us. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's sort of like, why are we just sitting around fighting each other? I yeah. don't get it. We mentioned Jizmopper earlier, the film you made at Penn State, and that's also the time that you became a drag performer, almost by necessity, mm-hmm. because uh, one of your actors wasn't showing up. Yeah, like not showing up for shoots or rehearsals. Basically, I had one foot out the door. Okay. And it was like one of those things where if we didn't do something to replace the character or rewrite the character, the sh- they used to... Um, dissolve projects so you'd be absorbed into another project so because we were shooting on film we were using really expensive equipment um i think at the beginning of the semester at the beginning of senior year you'd start off with this many i don't know films and then this many would get greenlit and this many would get rolling, but really only a small fraction actually made it to being mm-hmm. a finished film. But sure. The professors basically used that as a as a weed out process sure. so that they weren't wasting resources and money. Um, so instead of, yeah, that happening to us, we were fighting because we were the, the black sheep. Um, you know, everyone else kind of wanted to be like martin scorsese at the time you know like it was all straight white men and and my group was like me you know crystal jackson who was like this fierce black woman who knew knew sound design and sound recording Uh um the crazy comic jewish guy you know and then the the really weird christian you know that was my film crew (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was the four of us we're getting we're getting credit for this movie and of course it was you know at the end of the year me and the crazy christian who who got the film in the can and yeah and bonded and you know stayed up all night working together Mm -hmm. and you know so it it, kind of could have been its own movie in a way the making of the movie right But, but when when the actor wasn't showing up the um video tests we do i would step in and play the queen mm-hmm. and um and the, one of our professors was like okay you clearly know how to do this <laughs> like you know are you you know really are you sure you don't want to just step in front of the camera yeah you know? yeah is there some reason that we don't know yeah, yeah. right yeah so it, and i had been an improv performer uh in high school and college and so once i realized that drag uh, was something I could do scripted, like like in Jizzmopper. Yeah. Um, I started to think about ways to uh, take my improv stuff and put it um, 
to use with peaches. Yeah. And and that in a way is why I think I've had longevity because I wasn't that interested in lip syncing. I love lip syncing. I think mm-hmm. a great lip sync artist is is fascinating to watch. I just was never good at that. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't my strength, but but realizing I could MC shows, I could keep a show on on its tracks and I could be a storyteller through oh, improv or scripted special. stuff. Mm-hmm. That was really yeah. where I was like, oh, this is how I can use peaches. Yeah. Um, now I tell young queens, like, you don't have to be good at everything, despite what the TV show <laughs> makes you believe. <laughs> yeah. Be good at something, you know, yeah. or really good at something. And do the part of it you love. Exactly. Yeah. You know? That makes you happy. You don't have to do a death drop. That's the thing. It's like, I also didn't enter the drag world thinking it would ever become a career. Now you've got sure. all these people who are entering, like, like, like I'm going to be a nurse when I grow up or yeah. I'm going to be a doctor I'm going to be a lawyer I'm going to be a drag queen <laughs> well you know that just hey, option didn't exist for me days, I'm going to be a drag brand <laughs> <laughs> a drag brand <laughs> you know right. and it's like huh well honestly maybe if I wasn't going to be on the show uh, this thing that a bunch of us did where we we had to figure it out on our own and build an audience on our own and put one foot in front of the other mm-hmm. um, you know I look at me and like Coco and people that have been doing this for 25 years or more, 30 years, um, and realize, oh, see, we'll always have what we have because yeah. Yeah. of the way that we built it. Yeah. Um, whereas some of these younger people, I'm like, you're depending on one TV show that thousands upon thousands of people now are applying for. Right. And you're waiting for that. And you're creating this thing so that you get on it yeah instead of just doing your thing right just do your thing whatever that may be and when you do your own thing no one can take it away from you no and and you might end up being dina martina (laughs) or or christine Mm -hmm. or something that would be is so fabulous yeah and so incredible because you've opened your mind to the the possibilities of what drag could be right you know and you made your own niche because i think in porn some of the worst things that you can do is like listen to your agent who will try to like change your look and change you into being like i don't know what everybody else is but that's not what gets you noticed and makes you stand out and like actually gives you that longevity it's the same thing it's the same thing because we i i met a meeting with a manager in la who Mm -hmm. said the first thing they were going to do was change my drag name oh no i was like wonderful well hilarious yeah no thank you thank god i've been waiting for someone to come up with something because i just i just you know got stuck with this someone like i never thought about it yeah Yeah. (laughs) what did they want did they give you any options as to no what? but they knew that it had shut doors for me which it had uh-huh. but i was like that's the whole mm-hmm. point yeah mm-hmm. right they were like but it offends christians we're gonna need I to know. take this part out of your yeah. name like, yeah. i get it in a way that's what their job is well sure do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. so i get it like if i were gonna go that route that yeah hollywood route then that probably would have been a smart suggestion mm-hmm. it just wasn't it just wasn't how i want to love drag yeah know? certainly when did you start the midnight mass 98 give me some other titles that you went with the first year oh god we did well showgirls of course uh, yeah which, that's a, that's you know, a heavy association yeah, which you, i right? went yeah. on the screen for 20 years consecutively wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um and we did uh female trouble that first oh, yeah. year I think we did The Bad Seed, uh-huh. uh, which I love. We did the William Castle film Homicidal. Uh-huh. We did, um, God, uh, now I'm going to probably just 
jump into other years because I don't. No, that's remember. fine. Really, I just wanted it to give uh, an idea yeah. of the the Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Of yes. the, yeah, of course. Yeah, we used to do Peaches Playhouse as a oh, pre-show. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Peaches oh would come out as as the you know Peaches Herman and and all the um, Playhouse characters. You know, Cherry was um, a lesbian. Um, and so when women would sit on Cherry, she'd like lick them off and like, you know, Jombie was a porn, does, a gay porn star. <laughs> That's the secret. No one knew that oh, before. Sorry, and, uh, no, no, I mean at the, at the original Playhouse. They, right, no right. One knew. <laughs> but, but Peaches was an intolerant bigot. That was the big thing was I'd come out and be like, you're a retarded cunt, you know, and just say like really horrible stuff. And the yeah. Playhouse characters who were all these diversity of people, you know, would come out and um, teach me how to like, you know, celebrate diversity. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember we did it in San Francisco and the audience loved it. And yeah. then we um, took it to Berkeley Uh-oh. where oh, they just couldn't get past the first act of oh. me, of me, you know, right. saying horrible things. I'm yeah. doing this on purpose, ma'am. <laughs> right. In San Francisco, yeah. they kind of knew like, oh, yeah. she knows what she's doing. Right. It'll be okay. But yeah. in yeah. Berkeley, they were just too young and never saw on the family. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. 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 So Ernest we used to do that. Sensitive. Poltergeist. We did a lot. Oh, okay. Poltergeist. Christ yeah. is what the show was. We did, um, oh, the Honeymoon Killers, Spider Baby. The uh, Spider Baby sounds great. Yeah, I've the, never seen that. Oh, it's fabulous. The Apple. Oh, the Apple um, is one of the greatest yeah. of all time, right? Yeah. It, it's so good. And, you know, there was a whole thing that the missing scenes, they almost found the missing scenes for the Blu-ray release. Oh, really? Yeah. So for those of you who know the movie, all the stuff, basically, when it just jumps, there was supposed to be a, a creation thing where we actually learn who Mr. Tops is. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, stop. Well, after this episode, go and watch the apple. It's essential. But there was there was scenes shot with like a sort of Garden of Eden type of thing. Ah, that and, makes sense. Yeah, and then of course the story about the soundtrack, which is great. So crazy. They gave a soundtrack out to everyone at the premiere of the film, and at the end of the film, people were frisbeeing it at the screen because they were so pissed off at the movie. Yeah, it was so it's bad. amazing. Yeah. I love it. Love it. We did sing along Purple Rain for a number of years. Oh. We did. Uh, oh, do you need, we need? We can pause for a sec if you I need. I need to go get my dog to stop yelling at the neighbor's dog. No, <laughs> that, really we, can, we can pause for a sec. I hear, yeah, I hear Bowie. I'm really sad that you fell asleep. During I know. Me. Well, we can uh, continue while she's doing that. Actually, yeah. so I, I appreciate that your sadness for me. I, I was sad for me, and I you know, was jealous when you made it to Troop Beverly Hills, and then I was sad. <laughs> well, yeah. So Troop Beverly Hills was so wonderful because one of the things that's great about your parodies, because parody can sound like a, it can give the wrong impression. Your adaptations, because you love the things that you're. That's true. Skewering. That's true. Yes, yeah. it's true. So it's a, it, it it is parody. Actually, sometimes is a. a uh, complicated, no yeah. In a way, um, it's like I do earnestly love it, um, and we are making fun of it. But you couldn't you do know? it so well if you didn't love it. It's true. Really. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The performance of True Beverly Hills, I saw one of the actors from the film was there, right? And that was such a beautiful moment. What was her? What's her name again? Because I, I Tasha Scott, yeah. And she plays um, the little girl uh, who sings "It's Cookie Time," right? And, yes. and you know, and she's the one who you know tells the police officer off you know do you know who this is and, you know and her character was my play, daddy and her yeah. character in, the, in your uh, show she was, was played, played by, by meatball meatball who was yeah. wonderful and it was such a magical thing to watch the actress from the original film freak out being like oh my god people love this yeah, yeah. and yeah, then yeah. see meatball 
seeing her yeah. you know what i mean it was an amazing energy um transfer yeah. back and forth yeah. it was yeah such an interesting thing with these cult films too that like i mean maybe they did well it's fine but like the obsession comes later like much yeah. later and as a performer or even a director shit it's just interesting to kind of dip back in and be like oh people this touch some people <laughs> right yeah right. Okay, yeah yeah okay. and danny franzese who plays damien in mean girls mm-hmm. came on saturday oh wow so that was kind of funny awesome. i try i was almost gonna ask him if he could yell she doesn't even go here from the audience <laughs> so i thought that'd be so funny if the actual person but i i didn't you know uh, since i'm wearing my pia jacket today i want to know do you have a favorite pia zadora film oh the lonely lady i mean you, can, course, you, can you yeah. beat that at all it's so yeah, amazing no, it's yeah. incredible and now available on blu-ray everyone yes. so get it and watch it yeah, yeah. I want to watch the TV version that's on the Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. That'd be interesting. I like how it, but it's like 30 minutes long or something right, like exactly. that. Right, like, exactly. And what's the Ray Liotta scene like? What, he's just, I guess it's just cut. Yeah, he must just like make a face at her and then they go to commercial. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Favorite John Waters film? Favorite John Waters film would be Female Trouble. That's mine as yeah. well. Good choice. Yeah. It's just such a great, perfect movie. Of the new movies, I would say Serial Mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God, I love Serial. So yeah. good, yeah. She is a massive Crybaby fan. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Crybaby that too. That was incredibly influential to me growing up in South Carolina. I watched uh-huh. that at a way too young of an age. That You're not wrong with that wrench in that VHS. Nobody right. really understands. That's when you're supposed to watch a John Waters That's movie. Right. Right. You're a little too young. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever do the thing where you showed some folks that you were in school with the John Waters movie and they were a little like, ah. I don't know what afterwards. to do with you now. Yeah, they were like a little like, okay, uh, I don't want him to pick the movies anymore. <laughs> well, I would do that with dates. You know, I would always, oh, that you know, is sort the of, move. you know. Um, hey, let's watch Desperate Living. You know, you're yeah, cute. Yeah. yeah. For a while I was showing, like kind of would say to, you know, potential suitors. Um, have you seen this movie Happiness you know by Todd (laughs) Solons because I knew if they could enjoy or appreciate happiness we'd be compatible but if they were you know just totally turned off by it that you know it would be hard to you know yeah, I mean, sense of humor is so important. Oh, it's yeah, it's probably maybe the most important. Yeah. Well, that and the sex thing. So if you yeah. do the sex thing and the comedy thing on the yeah. first, you know, day or two, yeah, kind of in the clear, really yeah, political yeah, yeah. shit. Yeah, whatever. I feel like uh, it's almost like for a long term relationship, um, sex is going to you know change. It's going to fizzle. It's going to yeah. it's going to ebb and ebb flow. And, and but but st- stuff like sense of humor is kind of like. God, yeah. if you don't, if we don't click there. Deciding what to yeah. watch at night yeah. happens every yeah, night. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, Right, right. Getting the joke in something. Yeah. If you can't, then you eventually you're looking at the person like, "What's I can't? Uh, I yeah, can't yeah, yeah. Stand you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so uh, ladies, do you have any final questions? Oh, this has been fantastic. <laughs> I'm honored to share. It. Oh, me thank you, nice thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you, you know, for coming. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's really been a treat. Thank a, a you, pleasure and an honor. And um, now, uh, one last thing about the midnight mass screenings. You still do them? Yeah. You, you travel with them? Is yeah. Well, right? now we do the the shows, the live shows. Yeah. Without the screenings. Um, because people weren't staying for the movies, oh, you know, okay. as much okay. as I as much as I would was hoping they would still be into the movies, but that's really changed. So we have um, the first wives fight club coming up. Uh, <laughs> Are you on April seventh? Oh wow! That movie? Okay, yeah, see? April seventh at the Castro Theater. Yeah. Uh, well, I know your time is uh, about to run out, so please let's do some plugs. Okay. Well, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and uh, peacheschrist.com and. 
uh, you know, Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to find me. I'm verified now. So oh, yeah. on oh, all of those. Go. Yeah. Very yeah. Good. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And thank uh, you. Looking forward thank to next you. time. Thanks yeah. so much. Lots of problems.